0: six GOP debaters would vote for Trump even if he's convicted of felonies. That was disappointing to former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who tells all on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like
1: Ike, everybody likes Ike. Vote for president, i like to you
2: and me to me. I
1: don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy. He'll come out on top Both for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot because they're the ones to lead the USA
0: Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode four hundred of the Political junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. Donald Trump's decision to skip Wednesday's debate in Milwaukee was anything but a surprise. The thought that the former president, currently under four separate indictments would want to be on a stage and have tomatoes thrown at him by some of his Republican opponents never made sense. Of course, in fairness, Trump manages to give far more than he takes in every debate he's attended. We saw that in 2016. Plus, why, given that polls show him with a double-digit lead for the nomination over every rival, should he give them attention? So, while he was having his little love fest with Tucker... Eight other Republicans tried to make their own case why they should be president. And, surprisingly, we learned more than we imagined. First, and most important, is Ron DeSantis really Trump's leading challenger? You'd never know it based on Wednesday night. We entered the debate wondering if he would follow the script suggested by a friendly super PAC advising him what to say. Defend Donald Trump whenever Chris Christie unloads on him. Attack Joe Biden and the media clobber Vivek Ramaswamy, whom polls indicate is moving up. So, would he come out swinging? Would he become a scripted robot? Everybody was wondering what DeSantis would do. The short answer is, not much. If anything, he was mostly invisible, offering rehearsed answers while absentmindedly bobbing his head for effect. No longer are his biggest problems being well to the right of Trump. It's more that he lacked any sense of charisma, Sure, he was the first to bring up Hunter Biden, and the only one to mention George Soros. An anti-Semitic trope? Nah. And wow, he would have fired Anthony Fauci. Can you say gutsy? The real story is that he was boring, lifeless. He seemed unable to produce a normal-looking smile, unlike Ramaswamy, whose teeth were on full display for two hours. Usually you can tell who's a frontrunner by seeing the number of attacks against him or her. But on Wednesday, most of the candidates ignored him. He didn't even get to utter his most favorite word, woke. For someone whose poll numbers had shown him to be the runner-up to Trump, he showed nothing. He also refused to answer most questions, which grew tiresome. Listen to this one regarding whether Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th. do
3: you believe that Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6? So
0: here's what we need to do. We need to
2: end the weaponization of these federal agents. But right. and I would do that. That's not the question. Here, I, I know, but
0: here's the thing. Answer this this question. election <laughs> is not about January Or about the tragedy in Maui and the effect of climate change. A student from Catholic University asked the candidates their thoughts about climate change. The moderators, Fox's Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, asked the candidates to raise their hands if they thought man had something to do with the crisis. DeSantis wasn't satisfied with a simple hand raise.
2: First of all, one of the reasons our country's decline is because of the way the corporate media treats Republicans versus Democrats. Biden was on the beach while those people were suffering. He was asked about it. He said, no comment. Are you kidding me? As somebody that's handled disasters in Florida, you got to be activated. You've got to be there. You've got to be present. you got to be helping people who stop? are so doing this. And yeah. here's the deal. Yeah. Let's just answer the question. So here's, is that a yes? Or is that a yes?
0: Is that a hand raise? That was too much for Ramaswamy. Who came in as the self-anointed Trump stand-in by fighting with nearly all the candidates? He interrupted DeSantis with this: "Let no, 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 no. us be
2: honest, as Republicans, I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this: the
0: climate change oh, wow, agenda whoa, 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 whoa. is a hoax.
2: The climate change agenda serious. is a hoax, and we have to declare."
0: Ramaswamy, in fact, became the biggest story of the night. He seemed to have packed the audience with his supporters, and often, especially in the early parts of the debate, he got the most whoops and hollers. But his act wore thin. He became glib and combative, rude and obnoxious, smug and smarmy, smiling all the way as he lectured his opponents about anything and everything. For some reason he reminded me of Alan Keyes during the 2000 Republican primary debates. Anyway, he started off with a biography sounding, to me at least, at the start, like an early Barack Obama. So first let me just address a question that
2: is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? And he continued. I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett, you're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. I did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva, raising our two sons, following our faith in God. That is the American dream. And I am genuinely worried that that American dream will not exist for our two sons and their generation unless we do something about it. And I do think Brett is gonna take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something, to our vision of what it means to be an American today. If you have a broken car, you don't turn over the keys to the people who broke it again. You hand it over to a new generation to actually fix the problem. That's why I'm in this race and we're just getting warmed
0: up." (laughs) Something about it felt extremely rehearsed, which of course it was. Which is funny because he made a comment dismissing every other candidate on stage for their canned answers. The whole thing felt unreal and just fake. As the debate went on, he got into battles with Mike Pence, with Nikki Haley, with Chris Christie. Pence said this was not the time for on-the-job training. Ramaswamy responded by saying, well, those with the experience got us into these messes. He got his share of zingers in and took a bunch of blows as well. But as it went on, his lack of experience showed, especially in foreign policy. Haley was not about to let the audience forget that he opposed more aid to Ukraine in its battle with Russia
3: a win for russia is a win for china we have to know that ukraine right. is the first line of defense for us and the right. problem that vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand ukraine to russia he wants to right. let china eat taiwan he wants to go and stop funding israel you don't False. do that to friends what you do False. instead is you have the backs of your friends ukraine it's a front line of defense putin has said if Russia once Russia takes Ukraine Poland and the Baltics are next that's a world war we're trying to prevent war look at what Putin did today he killed Pergozin when I was at the UN the Russian ambassador suddenly died this guy is a murderer and you are choosing a murderer over over a pro-American country
2: First, so job, first of all first of all Mr. Ramaswamy you have 30 and, seconds Mr. descent you know, DeSantis, DeSantis, I wish DeSantis. you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon you know, I'm not on but the not of the, Lockheed the matter Lockheed and Raytheon a, and you know you down it, you've been pushing this lie stage, you've been pushing this you
3: know lie what? all you week want Nikki. to go and defund Israel yes. you want to Okay give let Trump me address that I'm glad you brought that up I'm going to address
2: each of those right now this is the false lies of a
3: you have no me, foreign policy experience and, it shows. and you know what
0: Her relentless argument is just part of the reason why I thought she was the most impressive candidate on the stage. And she didn't play the partisan hand. She blamed Trump and the Republicans, as well as Democrats, for excessive spending and the deficit. And while, yes, she raised her hand with five others when asked if they would still support Trump, even if he were convicted of his charges, she did say this.
3: When it comes to whether President Trump should serve or not, I trust the American people. Let them here, here. vote. Let yes. them decide. But here, here. what they will tell you is that it is time for a new generational conservative leader. We have to look at the fact that three-quarters of Americans don't want a rematch between Trump and Biden. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way.
0: If we're grading papers, Haley, in my view, did the best. But as expected, no one was more on Trump's case than Chris Christie. Look, here's the the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct, okay? Now, and now whether or not, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. Christie probably missed having Trump on the stage more than anyone else. He got the boos from the crowd as expected, but he played less of a role than I anticipated. In contrast, liberals who hated him during his gubernatorial career and his early Trump fawning now say wonderful things about him. I was expecting DeSantis, in an attempt to woo Trump supporters, to go on the attack against Christie. But it was Ramaswamy who did that, saying that Trump was the greatest president of his lifetime. Of course, he's only 38. As for the other candidates, Mike Pence wrapped himself up in God and his faith, but he's a true believer and it showed on the stage. When asked about pardoning a convicted Trump, Pence said that he wouldn't commit either way until we knew what Trump was convicted of. He, of course, made a plea for credit for having stood up for the Constitution on January 6th When Trump tried to steal the election, and he deserves credit. But it's sad that we're at the point where we applaud candidates who do the right thing. Anyway, he's probably as conservative as anyone, if not more so. For much of the debate, he and others took aim at Ramaswamy, which leads to the observation that he, Ramaswamy, has replaced DeSantis as the chief rival to Trump, which is silly because he's selling himself as a younger version of Trump. So why run against Trump if he adores the Express so much? We never found out. As for Pence, he played a much larger role in the debate than I ever expected. But a significant part of the GOP electorate sees Pence as a traitor to the Trump cause. He didn't seem to lose any support Wednesday night, but no appreciable gain either. Next to DeSantis, I thought Tim Scott was the biggest disappointment. Scott has a great life story to tell, is a decent guy, and has been impressive in the past. But he was clearly an afterthought on the stage, very uninspiring. He added nothing new and was filled with talking points. Speaking of the alleged weaponization of the Justice Department, Scott proudly said this. When I'm president, the first thing I'll do is fire Merrick Garland. thing I'll do. Did he think the other candidates would keep Garland as attorney general? It seemed weird to me. He also talked a lot about abortion and, like DeSantis, decried all those abortions that take place right before birth. The fact is, the number of such abortions are probably somewhere between none and none. Haley, who declared herself to be unapologetically pro-life, said she was searching for compromise.
3: Having said that, we need to stop demonizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the, like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation.
0: Brett, <laughs> Alas, there was not much to say about Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, and Doug Burgum, the current governor of North Dakota. Well, other than the fact that they're nice guys, they had the least amount of speaking time and frankly made little impression. Hutchinson along with Christie was the only openly anti-Trump candidate on the stage, and neither candidate raised his hand when the question was who would support a convicted Trump. In this breathless review of the first Republican debate, the question that probably needs to be asked is, so what? Has Trump been toppled from his perch as frontrunner? Unlikely, even in the wake of his booking in Atlanta the following day for his indictment. What's to be said about a party that seems to stick with the ex-pres no matter what? And a party's candidates, six of who, while expressing anguish at what Trump is accused of, all indicated that they would support him if he were convicted of crimes and became the nominee. Nothing has changed. And I don't know if the debate signaled that the 2024 race for president is off and running, or if it's over. I just don't know. The next debate is September 27th, held at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California.
1: And so begins the task, I have dreaded the coming of for so long. i wait for the sun to remind my body it needs a resting. And I must learn to live without you now. I must learn to give
2: only part somehow.
0: Larry Hogan is a former two-term Republican governor in very Democratic Maryland. I don't know if never-Trumper is an accurate description of him, but he's made it clear for quite some time that the party would be well-served with a different nominee than the former president. Hogan announced last March that he would not be a candidate in 2024, but he's made it clear he doesn't intend to sit on the sidelines, and he's on The Political Junkie to explain. Larry Hogan, it's wonderful having you on the program.
1: Well, thank you very much, Ken. It's great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, I'd like to start with the most obvious question: um, Did you watch Wednesday's debate, and what were your takeaways?
1: I did watch it, um, and uh, you know, first of all, I, I was uh, it, it really didn't make a whole, didn't make me very happy watching it. I can tell you that, but it was uh, it was interesting. At least they were trying to cover some issues, and we got to hear some from some candidates that not not a whole lot of people had heard much from in the past, but I was, I was really, uh, you know, know, somewhat taken aback when uh, with the question about, uh, would you support uh, the former president, even if he was convicted of a felony and six people raised their hands? Six out of eight, right. That's where it went off the rails. I appreciated uh, Asa Hutchinson and and Chris Christie, uh, you know, standing up to that, but everybody else, I mean, look, we've got to let this legal process play out, and uh, there's got to be a, a presumption of innocence, but no man is above the law. And to say that you would support a guy that's a convicted felon, uh, it, it just it, it didn't. Uh, I don't think it, it was a great night for the Republicans. Well,
0: not, not only was, uh, were they talking about uh, voting for him, but uh, Ramaswamy, w- his hand jumped up when he said, I would pardon him.
1: Yeah, I think a couple of people even, I, he was challenging the other people to, to Say they would pardon him without even knowing what he's going to be convicted of or how bad it is. Exactly it's,
0: it's, what Mike Pence said.
1: Yeah, and, and Pence, I thought uh, was good when he when he was you know saying he stood up and defended the Constitution. I like the fact that he said, "What would what would you have done? Do you think would you have violated your oath? You know, or would, do you think I did the right thing?" And a number of people did. It was the dichotomy of yeah, we think Mike Pence did the right thing, but uh, you know we we're not concerned about January 6th. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, you know, there was a lot of attention on Trump. And is that harmful to the party? Um, is he a distraction? Or does the GOP need to go through a cleansing before they can move forward?
1: Well, I think we need to go through a cleansing. But I also think it's hurtful because, uh, you know, all of the attention is focused on Trump. And he's the, he's the 800-pound gorilla uh, who, who sucks all of the oxygen out of the room. And so even though he wasn't even in the room, it's really what everyone was thinking about and talking about, and what all the coverage is about. And uh, it's typical Trump, where it's all about him. And you know, we, we've got um, some some capable, uh, qualified folks up there on that stage, and people who have governed successfully and have you know good backgrounds. And yet, uh, you know, really, every, all anyone's focused on is Donald Trump. And and in my opinion, uh, you know, he's the weak. He's very strong in a Republican base uh you know poll but he's the weakest possible candidate we could run for the general election uh he, you know he's he's lost basically three elections in a row he lost the white house and he lost the senate and uh you know he he's the, in in the last election where they expected a huge gain for republicans they underperformed because of donald trump
0: now besides trump i mean we saw on the uh, on wednesday's debate stage we saw differences on aid to ukraine um climate change Is the public paying attention to what the candidates are saying or really is everything about Trump because the public wants to make it about Trump?
1: Yeah, That's a great question. I know the the media mostly talks about Trump. I think the average person in America is sick and tired of talking about Trump and um, they really would would like to hear candidates focus on the issues that are important to them. And, and they did ask some questions, and people were able. They did sneak in a few issues <laughs> uh, where people did respond, and there was a difference of opinion on certain things. I thought it was it was interesting when uh, R- Ramaswamy was very supportive of, of Putin and very against helping do anything in Ukraine, and uh, he got jumped on uh, by you know Nikki Haley, and I think uh, you know I think Pence and uh, Christie all going after him, uh, talking about. Uh, you know, so there was some exchange on issues, and it was good to get people to get their positions out there. But uh, I think the public, um, the people in the room in that debate, are different than the average person in America. And the average person in America is concerned about the economy. They're worried about inflation. They're they're concerned about you know crime in the in the cities, and they're worried about their kids' education. And they're not paying as much attention as as the political class is on what's happening with uh, Trump or Biden or investigations or impeachments or indictments. Uh, They they just kind of are sick and tired of politics as usual, and they're fed up with Washington. They think everything's broken.
0: Was there ever a time, you know, while watching the the show, the two-hour show, when you thought to yourself, you know, I should be on that stage?
1: Well, you know, before it started, I thought, uh, you know, obviously I, (laughs) I, I did give serious consideration to running, but my, my decision was based on, I decided not to run because I, of the things we just said, I thought that all the focus was going to be on Trump, that the, with, with 11 candidates running, that no one was going to be able, be able to get traction and that, uh, you know, that would just enable Trump. And I believe strongly that the Republican party needs to move, uh, in a different direction. I'd like to return to a more, uh, a bigger tent, uh, more Reagan-esque, uh, party, uh, that focuses on issues. And, uh, and that's not what we're seeing. So, you know, my, I think I made the right decision, and watching it last night just reaffirmed that it, you know, it's a mess, and uh, that uh, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I knew I could be up there competing with all of them, uh, but I also saw my friends uh, Asa Hutchinson, and Chris Christie get booed by the crowd when they, you know, when they when they told the truth and stood up to the former president. You know, so, but I, the, the part I was really uh, the most uh, most disgusted with was folks raising their hand saying they would support Trump even if he was convicted of felonies.
0: I'm very interested in your role with No, no Labels, the group formed to help the country obtain bipartisan solutions to problems. With it, with an overwhelming majority of the country not keen on a Biden-Trump rematch, what can No Labels accomplish?
1: Well, the organization uh, is has been around for about 13 years. And uh, after, you know, my whole, I'm a was a Republican governor in the bluest state in America, and um, I, I have a had an eight year track record of of, uh, of bringing people together and reaching across the aisle to come up with common sense solutions. And that's really what No Labels is all about. Uh, they have a problem solvers caucus that are are people that are uh, both Republicans and Democrats in equal numbers, and in the House and the Senate that are really that really care about trying to solve problems. They're, that's why they're called the problem solvers caucus. Um, and I think it's a great organization. They had never ventured into this territory that we're in now. But the the fact that people are so concerned that nearly 70 percent of the people in America, according to numerous recent polls, have said that they they do not want a rematch of 2020 and that they do not want uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden to be president. So uh, no labels. Yeah, I'm an honorary chairman. Um, they asked me to join after I finished my my term as the National Governors Association chair, where I I tried to bring all 50 governors together on a bunch of issues. They asked me to join with Joe Lieberman, who was one of the founding uh, members and the founding chairman of the organization. And uh, this was long before this this new talk. It was three years ago, and it was all about trying to find consensus and uh, common sense in Congress. Uh, but but now they're they're talking about you know. Uh, something that seems a little out there uh, because it hasn't happened before, but I I don't know that there's ever been a a time in our country where there was kind of more hunger for another option. And they're, they're considering uh, if we get to next spring and the two nominees are Trump and Biden and uh, the vast majority of the people in America do not want choice A and B, that they're working to get access to the ballot for a choice C Uh, and they're, they're not trying to start a third party uh, they, they would. Their concept would be to have a Republican and a Democrat run together on a unity ticket and say, you know, have the courage to put the country first and country above party. And uh, it's sort of a in case of emergency, break glass. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I, I understand why so many people are uh, are, are actually uh, paying serious attention to it now.
0: Well, I remember, and I'm sure you do too. You know, there was there was dissatisfaction back in. In, two, in 1980, with Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter, and that's when John Anderson, a Republican, and Pat Lucey, yeah. the governor of Wisconsin, former governor of Wisconsin, d- yeah. formed a coalition ticket. And back in 2016, when polls overwhelmingly showed that Donald Trump, neither Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton, was what the was what the, can, the voters wanted, and yet a yeah. third-party candidate went nowhere. So. Why would it be yeah. different this time? Because because we've we've seen unpopular nominees yeah. before.
1: Well, I don't I don't think uh, we've ever been at this point. Not in my lifetime, I've never seen it where it's so divided. Where we have the, the two uh, lowest approval ratings of any presidents in history. Both the current president and the former president, uh, their their approval ratings are in the 30s, uh, and you there are more people that are willing to consider it. So. Um, about 48% of the people in America are now registered independent. Um, the, the independents outnumber uh, the Republicans and Democrats added together, just about. Um, when you take out the other, you know, Green Party and Libertarian Party folks, uh, and so we've never been that in that position before. Um, there are two recent polls that that showed uh, one was 63% and one was 69% of the people in America who said they would consider uh, ticket uh, independent. Ticket like this, and uh, the fact that it's a majority of folks that are registered independent that a majority say they would consider nearly two thirds say they would consider voting for an independent. It all depends on the candidates, of course. You know, you you, you can't you can't uh, beat somebody with nobody. It has to be a, a strong ticket, but not to take anything away from uh, Anderson or you know the, the the most successful time was in 1992 with Ross Perot uh, ran uh, against George Bush and Bill Clinton and. You know, most people forget this, but a few months before the election, he was in first place at 39 percent.
0: And what happened and in November? He got zero electoral votes.
1: Yeah, well, it turned out to be a terrible campaign. He dropped out of the race uh, and, and, and at last changed his mind and got back in. And his is his, uh, uh, vice presidential candidate imploded. But he still got nearly 20 percent of the vote uh, squeezing between a, a right right of center uh, Bush and a left of center Clinton, there wasn't much room, but he he still you know it, it's completely different now where this folks are a on both extremes and there's a there's a wide swath in the middle that you could drive a truck through.
0: I mean aside from the fact that a lot of people are convinced that Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the presidency, have you right. talked to Joe Manchin or John Huntsman or or even have you talked to Larry Hogan about possibly being on a no labels ticket, if that dissatisfaction remains great.
1: Well, a lot of people are talking about both, both, both Joe Manchin and I and a number of others. It's not something that I'm uh, actively, you know, pursuing or 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 actively, you know, going after. But I didn't close the door to it because, you know, I I, I do care about getting the country back on track, and you just don't know how bad things are going to be next spring. But uh, you know, the the, the uh, you talked about Ralph Nader obviously pulled from the Democrats. There's currently uh Cornell West from the green party is right. currently pulling three or 4%, a hundred percent of that coming from Biden. Uh, this, this ticket, no, we would not, no labels would not run a ticket unless they believe they could win. They're not trying to be a spoiler or nibble around the edges. They would, uh, you know, I think if uh, there was a poll that came out recently, of course it's, it's not indicative of after you actually see who the candidates are, but, uh, it shows the sentiment. There was, uh, you know, a poll that said, uh, you, would you vote for Joe Biden, Donald Trump, or neither, and neither won you know, substantially.
0: But but you and I both know that polls prior to—in other words, once we get to November, then voters who are unhappy wind up voting D or R. But months before or even a year before, they say, sure, I'll vote third party. Yeah,
1: no, that's—you're right, and that's the way it's uh, traditionally always happened. Uh, you know, and, and it's certainly— possible of what the outcome might be if this ever uh, took off. But you just don't know. I mean, it's it's something you never know what's going to happen until it happens. And, you know, people that say this is impossible because it's never been done. And then it gets done. You know, I I was only the second Republican reelected in Maryland in the entire 246 year history of the state. And people said it couldn't be done. But but we just we just went out and did it. (laughs)
0: Listen, before I let you go, I'd like to end with one memory, which is very close to me, and I'm sure it's close to you, too. Back in 1974, your dad, Congressman Lawrence Hogan, was a Republican member of Congress and a member of the House Judiciary Committee investigating Nixon's role during Watergate. In a very memorable speech, he said he would vote to impeach Nixon.
1: I wish with all my heart that I could say to you now that the president of the United States is innocent of wrongdoing, that he has not committed an impeachable offense. But I cannot say that. After having read and reread and sifted and tested this mass of information which came before us, I've come to the conclusion that Richard M. Nixon has, beyond a reasonable doubt, committed impeachable offenses which, in my judgment, are of such sufficient magnitude that he should be removed from office. He, now,
0: he was the first Republican on the committee to call for impeachment. I thought, and I still think, that the speech was especially courageous, especially because he was at the time running for governor of Maryland in a Republican primary, yeah. um, a primary he lost, and probably because, his, because of his stand on impeachment. Governor, that's a long introduction here, but what I want to ask you is, yeah. you were a teenager back then, but do you remember thinking about what your dad said and how risky yeah. it was for his political future?
1: Oh, sure. Well, thank you for mentioning my dad. I, you know, I, he's the man I most admire, and um, I, I learned a lot about integrity and public service from my dad, and I remember that very well. I was in high school at the time. Um, I know what a, a, a kind of a process my dad was going through. He was a, a, a loyal Republican who, who liked President Nixon, who thought he would have done a good job, who uh, was, they, they campaigned together. You know, we, we were at the convention to, together, even I was as a kid. Uh, and but when my father was a, a Georgetown trained uh, you know lawyer and former FBI agent who when after seeing all the evidence, made the, the painful uh, di- discovery that you know that the president was guilty of impeachable offenses and he, in a very impassioned speech uh, that you're referencing, he had nearly tears in his eyes and his voice was shaking and he was pounding on the table uh, saying that the president had you know, the president that he campaigned with, that he supported, that was guilty of impeachable offenses and should be removed from office. And he said, uh, you know, no man is above the law, not even the president of the United States, uh, and uh, that we need to pledge our highest loyalty to the law itself and not to the common frailties of man. And uh, at the time, he knew he was sort of committing political suicide. He, he, He knew that he would be shunned by his fellow members of Congress by the Republican National Committee, by the Nixon administration, uh, that he would likely you know, be attacked and, uh, and criticized, but he stood up and did the right thing for the country. And that's, we're, we're lacking that kind of moral courage today.
0: You know, I, I was thinking of that as you were saying that. I'm thinking, well, well maybe the closest I could think of it is maybe Liz Cheney, who basically sacrificed her political career in order to say what was right, but... Is there anyone in office today that you see anywhere on either party who was, especially in the Republican Party, who has stood up and said that the things that need to be said and still kept his or her job?
1: Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, not, you know there, there, there are a couple of people, there haven't been many, but I, I've been standing up and speaking out and, and was able to keep my job throughout the entire Trump administration. I was, uh, you know, I ran 45 points ahead of Donald Trump in a state that he lost by 33 points. Uh, I, I was uh, stood up on every time, including on January 6th, when I said he should resign and be removed from office, uh, it, you know, after I sent the Maryland State Police and Maryland National Guard to protect the Capitol after the, after the assault. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said this, I was the first one to speak out, and I'm continuing to speak out. And, uh, but there are a couple of others, uh, you know, Liz Cheney and Adam and a couple people in Congress, and you're now seeing Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie you know, coming around. And, and I said for a while that, uh, you know, I felt like I was on a life raft all by myself, but eventually we would need a bigger boat. And I think we're starting to get a bigger boat.
0: Larry Hogan is a former two-term governor of Maryland, a Republican. He is working to make sure Donald Trump will not become his party's presidential nominee in 2024. Governor Hogan, it was wonderful having you on The Political Junkie, and I'm um, and I'm so glad I got to talk to you about your father which I always wanted to do. It was an am- it was a very significant moment in political history.
1: Well, Ken, thank you very much for having me and I greatly appreciate you remembering my dad. Stand,
0: Stand in the end, you'd still be you. One that's done are the things you set out to do. Stand. There's a crawl for you to bear things to go if you're going
1: anywhere. The
0: That's it for this week's episode. Don't forget you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions and the political junkie store all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions or complaints send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon. Stand, there's a midget standing tall. And a giant beside him about to fall.